Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this week, well, every week, I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. And I do that because, for me, this way of eating and this way of living has changed my life after being so sick with multiple sclerosis, obesity, constipation, fibromyalgia, and so many other ailments that basically my 20s were a complete disaster. And now I feel amazing and I really wanted to pay that forward with this podcast. So now we're up to 71 episodes at this podcast. So beyond that, I just, I'm, I, I'm aiming for a thousand. So I'm very excited for every guest who's come on this show. And we're now on Spotify. I think we've been on the Spotify now for about four episodes or so. So very, I'm still very excited. So if you aren't listening to us on Spotify, you can. And that's fantastic. And if you can head over to iTunes or Stitcher app for Android and leave five-star ratings and friendly reviews of the podcast, that all helps get this podcast out to more people and extend the reach so that more people across the world are learning about the amazing, amazing health benefits of low-fat, whole-food, plant-based eating. So please, that would be so wonderful. And I'm so grateful to everyone who has already done that. And I just want to say... Before we get started, I just want to read you a review from Itchy Feats from June 2018. And I can't, I don't know how to read the whole thing. It says, if there were only more do, dot, dot, dot. And I don't know what that else of that title said, but she gave five stars. So thank you, Itchy Feats. Great discussion. I loved his five things and will work towards getting them sorted. It is unfortunate for him that he sees people in such a bad state. And especially when many are really caused by the lifestyles that we all live these days. Some great practical suggestions. Thanks to you both. So thank you so much, Itchy Feats, for writing that review and leaving that over at Apple Podcasts iTunes because I'm so grateful for everyone who, especially when you're commenting on podcasts and on episodes, it really helps me and the guests on the show to see that you've benefited or enjoyed their messages and, and, their, and their tips. It's, it's, it's great. So thank you so much. The next one I'm going to read is from VT55, um, and that's from the 18th of June 2018. And it says, that episode, exclamation mark, um, five stars. And I already know what episode they're talking about. And I was so nervous when I read this (laughs) review because every time I think about my own episode, episode 36, I get butterflies and anxiety and oh it fills me with dread because I went so deep but you know my brother the other day he said you know why do you share such personal personal things on the show and I said because someone out there has been through this and I don't want them to feel alone so if I have to totally humiliate myself and shame myself and share horrible things that I feel terrible about or that I feel just very embarrassed about or whatever, I will for that one person, that that one person feels less alone. So VT55 said, Corinne, I thought your personal story was incredibly brave and in brackets very hard to listen to (laughs) and worth sharing. 
I wonder, though, if the people who really need this kind of info find it and then listen, even if only a few do it, it is worth it. Keep it up. It's so inspiring. So thank you so much for that. When I read it, I was thinking, wow, thank goodness. <laughs> it was taken the way it was intended. And I'm so grateful to you for leaving that review uh, especially about that episode because it was such a painful episode to record because I did share a lot and I and I did it thinking that there is and you know and since that episode a lot of people with multiple sclerosis particularly have reached out to me and said your story is my story you know I've pushed my loved ones away I've done shitty awful things to them and people with people without that type of chronic illness where your future is so unpredictable it's it's very hard to und- to put yourself in in a person's position uh, until you've been there and so i know that there, you know, there's been people who that episode really triggers what i'm talking about infidelity and i'm talking about being a horrible partner and pushing people away and all those kinds of things they're not anything i'm proud of in fact i was very very ashamed and it still hurts me to this day but I had to share it because it is a part of chronic disease and it is in changing my diet and lifestyle helped heal that. It helped give me control back of my health so that I didn't feel so threatened and terrified that I, that I acted in ways that were self-sabotaging and destructive in my personal life and in my in in all aspects of my life, um, so and that it's an important part to share. I think because it is like all of the other things that this sad way of eating that we eat does to us. It gives us chronic diseases, and those chronic diseases have their own ripple effect on our relationships, our careers, our personal life, our health, on all these things. And so it is a piece, a crappy piece of the very crappy puzzle that is living with a chronic disease, like multiple sclerosis or like type 2 diabetes or like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, any of the people on this show who have lived with you know, obesity or all of us have had our times not treating ourselves well, where we've had depression or we've had, we've been terrible to ourselves, like the thinking and this, the self-deprecation and all those things, like there are consequences. It's not it's just that you get obese and everything else is sweet. You get obese, but then it, it, it you, there's other stuff that your obesity impacts on negatively, whether it's your mental health, your self-esteem, your relationships, your career, all those kinds of things. So anyway, that episode, I'm grateful to VT55 for finding benefit in it. And I'm so grateful to everyone who's listened to it and has reached out to me because it was really hard to record, really, really, really hard to record and, and share that. And even my husband said, you know, why did you share that? And I and I had to just say because there's people and there is people write to me and they say that they needed to hear someone else say that they've been a really crappy person along the way 
to recovery and some of them haven't recovered. They're just at the beginning. And so they're only still feeling like they are a crappy person. And like I've said a million times, this is just hurt people hurting people. This isn't crappy people. We're all just people living this life and doing the best we can. And none of us start out our life wanting to hurt the people that we love. None of us want to. And things things happen and we can do our best to try to heal ourselves and heal our hearts and eat better and change our lives for the better and, and apologise and... <laughs> And do better every day. Do better. Be kinder. Be more loving. Be more helpful. Do better. That's what this this podcast is about. And 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 I do better in my marriage. I value my husband more. You know, he wasn't my husband when all that happened. He was my boyfriend. And since then, everything has turned on its head. You know, I we are so in love. We work so hard to be in love, to maintain that respect and that love and that trust. And and going through that very, very dark time was unfortunately part of a journey that's led us to be so much stronger in ourselves. Now, not everyone, I don't want everyone to have to go through what we went through to get to a really a, the good place we're in now, but that is that is what happened for us. And it was a blessing for me, the whole thing, the MS, the everything was a blessing for me to get to this place where I feel so healthy and where our relationship is so strong and we support each other and love each other and lift each other up every single day. So yes, um, if you haven't yet joined my Facebook community, if you want to learn more about that, they can follow me on Corinne Nidger on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you can also join my Facebook group, which is a free group, and that's called Plant-Based and Thriving. And I'm guessing you can just find that link from my Facebook page. But if I if you haven't, it's plant and then, then the hyphen based and and it's a symbol for and thriving. Um, or I post, you know, plant-based information, resources, recipes, videos, all that kind of stuff over there for anyone that wants any more support, that kind of thing. But today we've got the incredible Joseph Alexander on the show, episode 71. He is sharing his story about basically it's a great story of recovering from type 2 diabetes and losing over 200 and wait for it, 210 pounds. And it's and becoming becoming a runner after being like me, where he never planned on ever becoming a runner, now he is a runner. So hearing that story and hearing how he went from being 430 pounds, 438 pounds at his highest, to starting a low-fat whole food plant-based or committing to a whole food, low-fat low whole food plant-based diet in January 4th, 2017. And it, it's it's not even two years later and he has come so far. So Joseph is fantastic and you can find more from Joseph before you listen. I'm telling you it all now at the beginning so that you make sure you go over and follow him. Joseph Alexander on Facebook and becomegreater.net is his website where he's just started to take on helpful, do some helpful living coaching for anyone who's also wanting to uh, just become greater, as the name suggests, with Healthful Living. And he's just fantastic. So he's become greater on Facebook and Twitter as well. 
So check him out and you can work with him and do all things with him because he is just every single person who comes on the show who has gone into coaching, they all have something different. You know, I'm a coach as well, but I love how everyone has a different approach, a different way of dealing with it, a different way of supporting people, a different way of giving back after transforming their own health and lives. And it's just such a joy for me to share because I know that each person will resonate, that comes on this show will resonate with a listener differently or in a different way and be the just the perfect person for that person to help them, cha- to support them to change their life and transform their health for the better. And Joseph said two great things that I wanted to share. Well, he said many, many great things, but two great things I really like that I'm taking away that I wanted to share at the start. And one is just really, sounds really simple, but it's just never give in. You never give in. Just keep moving forward and not quitting on yourself. You know, it don't let yourself backslide, just keep moving forward and, and and keep that momentum going. I love that. I think mindset is so important and I love that never give in attitude. It's something that I carry with me all the time too. And the other thing that I really loved and I'm going to take it with me in my own life is he said the goal, I used to always say my goal was to become 58 kilograms and a meditator. And along the way, I haven't reached that goal. I'm on my way to that. I'm on my way somewhere, but I, I don't know if it's, that, if it's that goal anymore. I don't know what the goal looks like, but Joseph put it perfectly because I feel so good. I feel so healthy, vital, driven, purposeful, strong. You know, there's so many. I feel so good in in this body at, at, at this weight, which still isn't quite the weight that I, I know I have weight to lose is what I'm trying to say. But, you know, when you have less to lose, it's more difficult to shift those last few pounds. So Joseph said, you know, he's lost 210 pounds now. So he's done amazing. He says the goal is the process. The goal is healthful living and that goal doesn't stop. I just want to Oprah that and repeat it again by saying the goal is the process. The goal is healthful living and that goal doesn't stop. When you give yourself a finite 58 and a meditator, it is such a terrifying, huge, unfathomable goal that it's so easy to start self-sabotaging and put, it puts such a huge amount of pressure on yourself. But if the goal is the process, if it's being playful and learning, having fun with whole foods, adding more plant foods in, educating yourself, if the goal is the process, you're, you're going to win at that every single day. And that's going to give you the momentum that you need to keep moving forward every single day on your own healthful journey, whatever that looks like. So I love that so much. So don't forget to follow Joseph Alexander at becomegreater.net and become greater on Facebook and Twitter and get some coaching with him. If you're up for some coaching in your life, wanting to smash your own health goals and become greater yourself or become a runner or become whatever it is you want to become, become greater with Joseph over at becomegreater.net. 
And I hope you love this episode as much as I love this episode. And I'm excited for Joseph to come to Australia and take me on my first half marathon because I've been putting it off for a really long time. But I'm keen and that's going to be in the 2019 plan for me. So enjoy the episode and I will see you at the end. Bye. So hello, Joseph, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. So I've given you a little bit of an introduction already. If you would just like to just tell us your story. Well, you know, that's always a great question, and I'm never quite exactly sure where to start because, uh, you know, if I go back to childhood where all of this started, I was a really skinny kid. Um, I was the kind of kid who had trouble keeping his pants up. My mother always used to buy the ones that had the elastic in the back to keep my pants up. But then um, when I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, I started puffing up and started getting heavier. And within a couple of years, I was the fat kid in the classroom. And this persisted. Um, I think that my journey to try to change that started almost right away. I grew up with the diet industry that started back in the 1960s and early 1970s. Uh, but despite trying different approaches and, and looking at different ways to lose weight, although I learned a lot about nutrition, I learned a lot about food and eventually learned about, a lot about eating behaviors, I never really found a way to put those into practice for myself. I'm a nurse. Um, and so, uh, I have a lot of, uh, actually more than the usual medical training in, uh, nutrition. Uh, and you would think I would know how to put these things into practice in my own life, but I really didn't seem to be able to do that. And as I got older, I just got heavier as people do. And I remember, when I was young, thinking, well, at least I haven't broken 200. Well, then I did. And then I haven't broken 250. Well, then I did. And 300 and 350. And eventually, by the time I hit my 50s, I weighed over 400 pounds. Uh, and the highest recorded weight I have is 458 pounds. Uh, so I don't know what's that, about 200 plus kilos. Um, and where did all this get me? I struggled around quite a bit. It seemed to be a constant thing in my life. How do I fix this? How do I change the direction uh, that I'm going? And I think I was looking a lot of the time for a goal that wasn't really reachable. Like a lot of people, I didn't want to do the work. I wanted to decide to do some new plan and then work on it for, I don't know, four or five minutes and then be at my goal weight. And that, of course, never really works. You can't step from A to Z. You have to do all of the steps in between. And so uh, uh, that just simply wasn't something I was ever really willing to do. I discovered plant-based eating back in 2012. I watched a new movie that had come out called Forks Over Knives that you may have heard of, some of your listeners may have heard of, and I was very intrigued. I was watching this with my um, husband, then boyfriend, uh, and we looked at the movie and we got really interested in it, and I said, do you want to try this? And he said, yeah, let's do this. 
Well, Joseph's style isn't to step in and take an easier approach to anything. So I immediately dove into the research and dove into the different ways or different approaches of eating a plant-based lifestyle. And I uh, chanced across one that I thought was more scientifically based. It had a lot more of the research-based, evidence-based information behind it. It was a lot more rigorous, or at least my interpretation was, than what was being recommended in Forks Over Knives. And so that's what we adopted. And that was a bit of a challenge. Uh, We struggled through that for about a year. I think I did end up losing about 80 pounds in um, in that bout over that year. But eventually, I was having a really hard time eating enough calories to simply to continue through my day um, because of the high volume of food. I was eating a lot of fresh salads, uh, totally rejecting starches and grains, um, and focusing on whole fresh vegetables and uh, very little fruit. And because of that, I started to exploit the loopholes that were in that way of eating. And so one thing I'll tell you is even the most fantastic eating plan in the world has loopholes in it. And I think a lot of people, myself included, are experts at seeking out those loopholes and then exploiting them for every calorie they're worth. In this case, the diet allowed me to eat a little bit of oil. It allowed me to eat a few nuts. And my interpretation of this over the next couple of months turned into, well, I'm going to make salad dressing for my salad. Let's put in a whole cup of cashews. Uh, let's put in, uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of tahini, a lot of oil, things that are going to add a lot of calorie densities, but not a lot of uh, nutrients. And this eventually led to me just sliding back right off of that diet and and into the SAD diet, the standard American diet, SAD, the standard Western diet. Uh, And I found that over time, I would get back on plan and it would last for a week or a few days or a few hours. But I didn't have the ability to state one that plan I was trying to follow. What was this plan? So it was very difficult. Well, I hesitate to say because it's a really valid plan. Uh, It was Dr. Furman's plan, Eat to Live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't need to be as hard as I was making it. It's simply my interpretation of it was very rigorous and very strict. And so um, I I wasn't uh, uh, maybe getting the best out of it. But uh, nevertheless, I persisted with this plan or, or at least attempting to follow this plan over the next few years, three or four years. Nevertheless, because I kept slipping off of the plan and dropping back into that um, uh, pool of sad eating, of standard American diet eating, uh, and we should talk about that more in a few minutes. We should talk about how I kept slipping off, but um, this didn't result in the weight in my weight moving the direction it did. Instead of losing fat, I was gaining fat. Well, back in the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, I developed an infection in my leg. I thought that I had a uh, clot in my leg, a deep vein thrombosis, uh, because I had just come back from a long airplane trip. And so I watched my leg turn red and swell up. And I thought, okay, I've got this thing going on. I went to see my doctor that day. 
And he looked at it and he said, well, it kind of looks like it, like that, like a DVT, a deep vein thrombosis or a clot, but look, we need to check it out. So I'm going to send you for an ultrasound. And uh, where I live, I live in the town where the Mayo Clinic is. And so we have instant access to everything we need. So he just put me in a wheelchair and they pushed me over to the ultrasound place. And I got an ultrasound, which was a horribly painful experience. And it came back negative. I went back over to my doctor's office and he said, no, it isn't a DVT. I don't know what's going on. But while I was there with him, my fever kept going up and my leg was just becoming more and more painful. He said, I'm going to send you over to the emergency room. So I went to the hospital. Um, which was just a few blocks away and went into the ER and got signed in. And um, eventually after seeing a a series of different uh, physicians, I saw somebody from infectious disease and they looked at that and they looked at my big fat swollen right leg that was all red and, and different colors. And he looked at it and said, well, your left leg is really small and pale because it was my right leg that was swelling up. It was a joke. uh, (laughs) So I said, har, 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 thanks. Um, But he looked at it and he knew right away what it was. He said, you have cellulitis and you're becoming septicemic. You're getting an infection in your blood from the cellulitis in your leg. And uh, he said, it's life-threatening. So we're going to start you on some hard-hitting intravenous antibiotics right now. And so they did that. Uh, They gave me some morphine. The first time I've ever had morphine in my life. That was kind of entertaining. Uh, But uh, uh, put me on IV antibiotics over the next few days, which I spent in the hospital. The legs started to get better. While I was in the hospital, uh, one of the surgical residents came in one morning and he said, do you have any idea how much you weigh? And I said, well, not really. I think the last time I weighed myself was 394 pounds. And he didn't tell me how much I weighed. He said, uh, you weigh a lot more than 394 pounds. But the uh, big news is that your hemoglobin A1C is 9.7. Now, hemoglobin A1C is an indicator of... um, type 2 diabetes. It's it's an indicator of insulin resistance or the inability to use insulin. And the reason it's an important number is because it looks at your blood glucose levels over a period of time. Now, we use a different scale than you use in Australia uh, for measuring our glucose. Um, Our glucose levels should be under 100 between 70 and 100, um, certainly no more than 110. Uh, and when they start creeping up above that, you're showing signs of, of early onset or the early stages of diabetes. Your hemoglobin A1C, which is an indicator over time, over a three-month period of your glucose, should be under 5.6. Mine was 9.7. So what this meant was that I had type 2 diabetes And I had been diabetic for some time, but had not realized it. And so the cellulitis that I was having, the infection I was having, was a symptom of that. And uh, so uh, that was a big piece of news. And what that made me do is turn back to what I knew would work, which was Dr. Furman's plan to the to live plan, my interpretation of it, which was salad, salad, salad. Um, But just like before, I really could not stick with this. And 
they did not put me on medications right away. They gave me a few months to try to lower these numbers on my own. And because I struggled a lot with it over the next few months, my numbers did come down a little, not, not as much as they should have, but they did come down a little. And, uh, but the really bad thing was I kept having these infections. So over the next couple of years, I had these infections maybe every four to six weeks, and I would end up right back on antibiotics. And it got so bad that rather than me going in and getting a prescription for antibiotics every time I needed them, they just gave me an open-ended prescription. So I always kept the bottles of antibiotics in my refrigerator so that I could just start them right away when I started to get sick. And, uh, so this went on and in the meantime, my blood glucose got worse. I, um, uh, ended up by the end of that year on medications, oral medications for, for, uh, diabetes. And within a few months I was on the maximum doses of my oral medications there. They couldn't give me any more. Despite that, my blood glucose that should have been between 70 and a hundred uh, you take finger sticks every, you know, twice a day to see what your glucose is. Mine was ranging between 250 and 450, which is very, very high. Um, and so this is the kind of thing where you start seeing symptoms like neuropathy in your, in your feet, in your hands, uh, like, uh, uh, vision problems, that sort of thing. And fortunately, I was not having those issues, but my glucose was so out of control, I knew that I was headed for being on insulin. This went on until the end of 2016. And during that time, that's when I started to really feel like I was in a place where I wasn't coming back from. And there were a couple of things going on. One thing was I had tried so many different things through my life, so many different approaches to changing this direction and to, uh, um, I, I think I had it in the back of my mind to become a healthier person, but mostly to be a thinner person or a more fit person. That's always what we think about. And, uh, so I worked on that, but, um, Nothing was was doing it for me. And I always hesitated to say, well, I tried this plan and this didn't work. I always knew that what it was was the plan would work if I would follow it. But I wasn't following it very well. And, and that was true with every plan I'd ever tried. So I was having these infections and I was out of town uh, visiting some family. And at that time, I had pretty much given up. And for the first time in my life, I had backed myself into a place of acceptance and saying to myself, you know, you're 50 some years old. This is the normal progression. This is life in America. You're going to get older every few years. You're going to pick up a new chronic disease on your diagnosis sheet, and you're going to get a new handful of medications. And then someday you'll die. And that's just what we do. And in a lot of ways, that's true. A lot of people do do exactly that. But something inside me said I needed to try this again. And the thing was, I knew that if I could get back on Dr. Furman's plan and I could really stick to it, that that would 
be the solution to this. I knew that a plant-based approach, that a, a nutri nutritionally dense approach was really the right way to go with this, but I was still stuck on this idea of following this really rigorous plan in order to do that. Whatever the maximum hardness is, that's what I'm going to do. And I said to myself, okay, let's go back to the basics for a while. And I said, I'm going to go back, I'm going to watch Forks Over Knives, and I'm going to pay attention to what they say to do in that movie. And so I did that, and I watched that, and I saw what Dr. Esselstyn was saying, and Dr. Campbell was saying, and Rip Esselstyn was saying, uh, and all the others who were in there. And I thought, I can do this for a couple of months or a few weeks, it will at least be better than what I'm doing. And that'll be the kickstart I need to get back onto the plan that I know I need to be on. And I thought, I was thinking in my head, even though this is not going to be the answer, this is not going to work. There's too many carbs, too much starch involved in this and all these grains. Uh, but I went to the Forks Over Knives website and that eventually led me over to the Engine 2 website. Now, Rip Esselstyn, uh, who is the creator of Engine 2, um, had just released a new book. It had just been published a few days before that called The Engine 2 Seven-Day Rescue Diet. Really long, complicated name. And I said, okay, this is it. I'll try this. It's a new thing. And he said, there's this Facebook group going on. Go join this Facebook group. Well, I did that. And there was maybe, I don't know, 200, 250 people in this group at the time. And I thought, well, okay, well, this will be a, a new place to talk and get some support. And uh, But I'll try this for seven days. And I read through the diet plan. I read through the, the guidelines. Um, it, for anybody that wants to follow the Engine 2 Seven Day Rescue Diet, it's great if you buy the book. I recommend people buy the book and read the book. Everything you need is in the Facebook group. You don't have to buy anything. All the all the information that you need is there for free uh, in the Facebook group. But um, I took one look at what Rip was saying to do, and I said, this is never going to work. I'm going to gain weight. Uh, my blood sugars are going to go up, and I'm going to end up on insulin. But I also said, this is infinitely better than what I'm already doing. And, uh, which was eating bar food, you know, going out for chicken wings and cheeseburgers and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, this is never going to work, but I'll try it for seven days and then I'll kick myself over to the next step because it's the seven day rescue dry. What a brilliant thing to call it. And, um, I made some really, really important decisions for me. One was that I analyzed my own behavior. I looked at myself and what I had been doing over and over, not for months, not for years, but for decades. One of the things I recognized was that I go on a plan of whatever variety, I try some new diet plan, and at some point I take a bite of the wrong thing. I eat one bite off plan or one meal off plan or one day off plan. And whether or not I immediately slide back into 
you know, eating at the Chinese buffet or not, it's going to happen. And it's like a swirling drain. I go right down the drain and I eventually circle right down into that terrible way of eating that um, Western society is so well known for uh, that had been killing me my whole life. And so I recognized that one bite was all it took for me. Now, I had grown up in this diet industry from the 1960s and 1970s all the way up till now, what I call the pay-to-lose diet industry, and the messages that they give us. And these probably sound familiar. You have to treat yourself sometimes. Cheat days, cheat meals. Cheat day. Oh, yeah, cheat days, 80%. Um, Be gentle with yourself. Uh, and my all-time favorite is you can eat anything you want in moderation. If I could eat in moderation, I would have gotten to where I got, where I was. Sorry for my grammar. But I, I wasn't capable of doing that. I did not have the option to be gentle with myself. I did not have the option to go in 80% or 90% or 95%. This was an all or nothing thing. And if I was going to survive, I needed to go all in 100%. Every single bite matters. And I knew this. And I woke up to a feeling of fear about that. And I let it terrify me. I purposely invited that fear in. That fear of that one bite of food. Because I knew that was all it took. One bite. And I would start circling the drain again, and I would end up cycling right back down in, and you'd find me doing the backstroke and the uh, Kung Pao chicken over at the Imperial China Buffet. Uh, and, you know, the one of the things that I sometimes talk about that I, I think is that we're not really aware of what we eat. Um, I engaged in a lot of automatic eating, but also a lack of awareness of how much food I was consuming. And I look around me now and I know that I'm not alone in that. It was not uncommon for me to have a day of eating that was 7,000, 8,000, as many as 12,000 calories of food. You can do that by going out to restaurants two or three times a day, by not taking control of what you eat, by engaging in hidden eating, by engaging in automatic eating. The calories rack up there. And it's not sustainable. But anyway, I knew that one bite of food was all it took to get me there. Um, And then another thing I had observed was any time I made some change in my diet, something intended to finally put me on that path to health and wellness, I did not, uh, I, I would tell people about it. I would advertise it. I'd put it on Facebook or I'd put it on uh, whatever social media I was using at the time or I'd tell coworkers about it. That never went well. And I'm sure many people have had experience saying, you know, oh, I'm going vegan or I'm going vegetarian or, uh, you know, I'm going to start eating this other way, um, whatever horrible Sugar-free, thing gluten-free. Yeah, yeah. People lose their minds you know, suddenly people who 
have no control over their own nutritional habits are an expert in nutrition and telling you what you need to do and, oh, you shouldn't do that. I didn't want to hear it. So I didn't tell anybody. Uh, I told my husband. I told and I talked to the people in the seven-day rescue group on Facebook, which, by the way, now has something like 35,000 members. Uh, so we're up a few from those 200 that were there the I day love I Rip Esselstyn. So I, <laughs> he's, I, he's pretty amazing character. He's pretty great. Yeah, we, yeah, we like Rip. So, um, you know, I didn't tell anybody. And I made the decision that I was not going to talk about it. I don't necessarily recommend that for people. I don't know if closing yourself off to uh, potential routes of support is the best way to do it. I think every person kind of needs to weigh their own situation, their own experience, and see whether or not they should tell others about what they're doing or not. But for me, that was the right decision at that time. And I actually didn't talk about it for months until people started saying, you know, what's wrong with you? You're losing weight like crazy. Anyway, uh, I don't know what my weight was when I, when, uh, well, I do know my, what my weight was when I started my weight in the hospital that day when, um, I got my diabetes diagnosis. Uh, I did go back and look at my me medical records. It was 438 pounds. That's the highest recorded weight I have. Um, and so that's the one I go with. Uh, by the time I started the Engine 2 7-Day Rescue Diet, I had fought my way down to, I want to say, around 380 or so. Uh, so I'd lost a little bit of weight. I started the 7-Day Rescue on January 4th, 2017, certain in the knowledge that I w it was never going to work because it encouraged me to eat potatoes, to eat grains, to eat squash, to eat corn, in addition to all of the other whole vegetables and fruit as much as I could, you know, want to eat and uh, uh, beans and legumes, all these things. I thought I'm going to gain weight, but at least I'll feel a little better. And darned if I didn't feel better within a day or two. I mean, I felt a lot better um, because I started dropping water weight like crazy. Uh, and so I got off some excess there. I think I was a little less swollen. Uh, and so overall, I felt better. But the big thing I had not had a blood sugar reading under 250 in two years, and it was not unusual for it to be up in the 450s. Two days after I started the Engine 2 7-Day Rescue Diet, my glucose was under 120. It has gone down into the normal range and remained there ever since. In six weeks, I called my doctor and I said, uh, hey, you know, I'm doing this thing. And uh, my blood sugar is under 100. I'm thinking it might be time to at least cut back on my meds. And he said, well, the reward for good behavior is no meds. Stop everything. You're going to do fine. And so I did. And I thought that was a scary moment for me. Uh, that was a really scary moment uh, because I expected a rebound that I'd stop these meds and my blood sugar would bounce up at least partway, but it didn't. It stayed down in the normal range. Um, my hemoglobin A1C that started at 9.75, what I called, or 9.7, what I called uh, dreadfully diabetic, um, within three months dropped to 
5.6 and then 5.3. And the last one I had taken about four months ago was 4.6. Uh, my glucose typically runs in the 70s or 80s, which is down at the bottom end of the normal range. Uh, I take no meds. Uh, so I essentially reverse diabetes. I lowered my risk of having a heart attack from 70% over 10 years to 0% over five years. Um, and I've lost 210 pounds. Yay! All of that is so good. Yeah. <sighs> and, you know, the thing, uh, now it sounds like, okay, well, I told you all the good stuff in the last three minutes. It sounds easy. It's not easy. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a battle sometimes. It's much easier now than it was when I started. We're coming up on my two-year anniversary in just a couple of weeks here. But for a long time there, it was really, really hard. And there was uh, periods of times where I was white-knuckling it. Um, the seven-day rescue diet essentially amounts to uh, whole vegetables, uh, except for um, uh, avocados and nuts and seeds, seeds in very small quantities, um, beans, legumes, pulses, uh, whole grains, no processed white rice or anything like that, but whole grains are fine. Uh, fruit is fine. Lots of greens. Um, and then, uh, no oil and minimal salt and sugar. And the oil is the secret. There's been a lot of debate and discussion about oils and fats over the last couple of decades. And, you know, we go from no oil is really, really bad for us to, uh, well, there's good oils and there's healthy oils. And um, there really aren't. Uh, no oil has any nutrition to speak of. Uh, are there some benefits to oils? There are, but you get plenty of oils from eating fresh whole vegetables. In fact, if I have a day, I, I have on a few occasions um, had cause to track my calories and nutrients through the day just to see what it was I was really consuming. Consuming nothing but whole vegetables in a day, your fat intake is still around 15%, which is way more than you need. And you think, well, all I ate today was kale. How can I have 15% fat? But that's, you know, there's fat in everything. Uh, and, and so you get your fats that way. Uh, but really for controlling, uh, endocrine effects, diabetes, oil is really the secret. You know, we focus a lot on sugars and it's a combination of refined carbohydrates, white bread, white rice, those kinds of things. And, and pasta along with an intake of sugars and oils that kind of contribute to that, um, uh, set of events that leads to diabetes, but, um, uh, it's the oil that is really the secret. And if you can get the excess oil out of your life while sticking to a plant-based diet, 
you can work miracles for yourself. And of course, less uh, um, easy to see are the effects on your cardiovascular health. Um, oil has a tremendously negative effect on cardiovascular health. And uh, so being able to get that out of your system is amazing. So that's kind of how I got to where I am, at least diet-wise. So uh, 230 a, pounds you lost. 210. 210. 210. 210. Yeah, I think, I think I have about another 50 to go. Uh, but, that's still amazing. Uh, you must feel amazing. I'm a totally different person. Uh, I remember a few months ago uh, walking downstairs and my husband said, are those my jeans? <laughs> And I, because he's kind of skinny around the waist, and I, I said, yes, they are. And he said, they look good. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, he said, are those my jeans? And I said, no, your jeans are too big. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and the effect is astounding. And I don't always feel that way. I mean, a lot of days I still feel like the fat guy. Um, but almost never now am I the fat guy in the room. Uh, I never say no to anything. I can run up and down the stairs. I sleep better. I do everything better. Um, and then uh, a little over a year ago, I took up running and I've done some pretty amazing things with that as well. Uh, well, uh, there's a little ultra secret online group for, uh, former fat guys for men, uh, uh, called the missing chins run club. You may have heard of. Yes. Uh, I only recently heard of it. Maybe from following you. I think it must be. Okay. Well, um, there's quite the load of us on there, uh, who have lost substantial amounts of weight. Uh, many, uh, who have lost far more than I have. Uh, people who are further along in their journey, but there's also people who are um, just beginning theirs and everything in between. A friend of mine that I met through the Seven Day Rescue Group had been a member of this Missing Chins for a while. Uh, it was started by a fella down uh, in the bayou in Louisiana named Josh Lajani. And Josh has gone from being over 400 pounds to being a cover boy on a magazine called Runner's World. And uh, uh, he's done an amazing job on himself and is doing a lot of outreach work to help other people follow this path of eating a plant-based diet and running in order to have a healthful lifestyle. And uh, uh, I got hooked up with this group, oh, sometime in 2017, uh, a friend of mine uh, hooked me up with it and said, you need to be in here. And I said, okay, here I am. I'm in this group. And I was in there with maybe 50 other guys. And um, I did not talk at all in the group. I didn't post. I read what they wrote. And I just kind of sat back because these guys were running. And I was not going to run. I had absolutely no intention of ever running. Uh, you know, fat boys don't run. And, uh, uh, it hurt. I mean, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but I kept watching them do this. They would sign up for races. They'd sign up for marathons and 10 Ks and five Ks and all of these different races. And one day, for some reason, I looked at this stuff and I got a little inspired 
and I signed up for a 5K on our uh, American Thanksgiving Day, which is always the end of November. Um, it's a big day for 5K races in every community. They're called turkey trots uh, because turkeys are the traditional American Thanksgiving food. So uh, I signed up for it. I called it the Tofurkey Trot. Uh, but uh, uh, I signed up for this thing that was out there about three months. And I said, well, at the worst, worst case scenario, I walk it. And my friend said, well, you need a training app. And so I downloaded a training app to my mobile phone. And what it does is it verbally guides you through learning to run, you know, from basically being sedentary to being able to run a 5K. And uh, I was working with a coach at the Mayo Clinic. It's one of the benefits that they have at their employee wellness center. There is uh, uh this coaching service that's very inexpensive. And so uh, I have been working with a coach for quite some time. He is a runner, and I came to an understanding with him early in our relationship that I was never going to run. Uh, but but he was welcome to encourage me in all kinds of other directions. But uh, uh, I started this program, and, and at first it was... What was the rough. app? Sorry to interrupt. I'm almost embarrassed to say it's called uh, Zombies Run. <laughs> and that's good, though. That's great. It's, it's, uh, it's um, from the UK. It's a, uh app that, while it's guiding you and giving you directions on running, also is telling you a narrative story about zombies. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic thing. And they keep coming out. It's a lot of fun. And the reason I used it, though, I had previously, in one of my earlier bouts of trying to run many, many years ago, tried the Couch to 5K program, uh, which is probably the most common, best-known approach to starting to run in the U.S. anyway. And uh, it was too hard for me. It was asking me to run much further than I could. The Zombies Run... uh, they have a 5K starter app that I was using, um, assumes nothing. And so at first, you're running for like 10 seconds and then walking for two minutes and doing other exercises. But this was what I needed. I needed to start on that level. But my pride wouldn't let me do that while I was listening to the 5K program. You know, it was like they're telling me to run for a full minute. I should run for a full minute. I couldn't run for a minute. Um, not without, I think, falling down and dying. But uh, so the the thing was, though, I started working through this. Then I got pretty religious about it. It had you running three days a week. And so that's what I did. Every other day, I would run with this app. And about maybe three weeks from the end of the program, I was out running and I think it had me running maybe for three or four minutes and it said, now walk. And I thought, I don't want to walk. And I kept running. And every time it said, start running, I just kept running. Every time it says now walk, I just kept running. And it was like I had broken through some kind of wall. And that day I successfully ran a 5k. I mean, in, in training, uh, without walking at all, without stopping at all. And I, I made it all the way through this program. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. 
it was an amazing feeling. I mean, oh and, you know, now I would I have cried. I would have cried. <laughs> I did when I did my first one k. I rang like everyone I know, and I was crying. <laughs> well, to get to the crying part. I was just blown away by that, though. That I could, I could, I ran three miles, five k, five five kilometers without stopping, and that really is the power of training, being consistent of sticking with it and doing what you need to do every day to get to where you want to be. That's the only way you get any of this done. It's not about enjoying it or having a good time. Those things are great if they happen. But being able to break through that wall and actually keep running, that was an amazing, amazing thing. So I did the 5K, and then I signed up for a few more 5Ks over the next few months, and I did those. And I was doing a lot more participation in the missing chins because now I was a runner. I felt, you know, like I was running, I was lifting weights, I was doing all these things and and uh, would never at the time have classified myself as an athlete, but I was on my way. And I was doing things I, I had never before thought I could do. They started talking, so I started looking at longer races and I signed up for a couple of longer races in the local area. I'm in southern Minnesota. So when spring happens around here, the races start up. I signed up for some local races, but the guys in the missing chins were talking about this race out in Colorado. And this might be where the, uh, where the crying comes in because I still can't talk about it <laughs> without getting pretty emotional. But, um, uh, they were talking about this race in Colorado called the Leadville Trail Race. Now, one of the things that I had done on their advice while on a trip is I had read a book called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. Uh, no relation to Dr. McDougall. But uh, Chris wrote this book about a tribe of runners down in Mexico in the mountains. So people who uh, live to run more or less. They run and they run and they run. And the way that they run. And back in the 1980s, uh, there was a town in the Colorado mountains called Leadville. It's a mining town and the mines closed. And for a lot of, well, I'm sure this is true in Australia too, for a lot of towns in, especially in the central U.S., where mining has been the industry for so long. When the mines close, the towns dry up and blow away. And this was happening in Leadville, which is actually a great little town. It was a great little town then, and, and people didn't want it to go away. And this fellow had this idea that he would get this tribe to come up from Mexico and participate in a 100-mile trail race. And it's uh, since become regarded as one of the toughest races in the world. And whether it is or is not, um, I'm not a judge. But the Leadville Trail 100 is a brutal, brutal race. Uh, this race happens at an elevation where there is less oxygen, a lot less oxygen. And uh then the trail is pretty technical. It's a pretty rough trail to, to run on, very steep in some sections, climbing these mountains. But anyway, I read this book, and as I'm reading it and enjoying the story, I thought, at least I will never be crazy enough to do that. This is one race that is completely off my radar. There is no way in the world I am ever going to Leadville, Colorado to run. 
But the guys in the missing chins were talking about this race in Colorado. And they weren't talking about doing the 100, although a few of them have done it uh, very successfully. Um, they were doing the half, the, what's called the heavy half. There's uh, uh, In June, they had the Leadville Trail Marathon, which is um, 42 kilometers, I think is what a marathon is, uh, 26.2 miles. Um, and then the heavy half, which normally would be 13.1 miles. This one is 15 and a half miles. And a lot of them were focused on this heavy half. I looked at this and thought, aha, you guys are crazy. I am not doing that. And I told them so. And I kept telling them so. And then I signed up for it. And I blamed them for it. I blamed them for all of this. <laughs> <laughs> but last June... I went out to Colorado and there were, was a group of maybe 30 guys there and some families from the missing chins. And this race has kind of become our homecoming of a sort. Um, this race, this, this half marathon, I went into it with no idea that I could finish it. And I remember standing at the, the starting line with everybody, with a group of the missing chins, and we were all saying, yeah, well, the real, the real winning is, is showing up here at the starting gate, no matter how far you get. You know, I was already kind of talking myself into this mindset of I'm not coming back through this gate again today. To put it in perspective, this race starts in a town at 10,200 feet above sea level. So there's a little over three feet in a meter. So do the math. I don't know, three or 4,000 meters. Um, That's high. It, it's high. It's up there. There's less oxygen when you start, and it climbs 3,000 feet, 100 meters, uh, up to the top of a mountain pass. It was June, which here in Colorado should be hot. And by the time we got up to the top of the mountain, I think it was in the 30s. There was snow around. It wasn't actually snowing, but there was snow around. I made it all the way up to the top, all the way down to the bottom, and back through that finishing gate. Uh, and uh, we have a, a phrase here that runners use, DFL, uh, dead freaking last. Uh, <laughs> Only it's not that polite. But uh, uh, anyway, they uh, I was the last person through the gate, but that doesn't matter to me in the least little bit. It was the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And the mental changes that I went through going up that mountain with these guys from the missing chins and coming back down this mountain and running through that finishing corral, uh, it is the single most emotional thing I've ever experienced. And I tell people I left fat Joseph on top of that mountain. Um, and really I did because once I did that, I knew there was nothing that I could ever say no to again. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. No, don't worry. I still get a little wound up I about would, it. I would too. I would too. That's huge. <laughs> and so I, uh, yeah, I don't want to look at pictures of it, but <laughs> uh, there's lots of photos. Um, but uh, a year before that, I would have never, ever believed that I could have done that. Um, I felt like 
you know, I think that a lot of people have this, this, uh, you know, what imposter syndrome is. Yes, I have that. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I have that. Um, this was one of the few things in my entire life that I could look at and say, I did this. This is absolutely all me. And um, to come to that realization that somebody who is, I had just turned 55 years old, somebody who's 55 years old, who a year and a half before that weighed close to 400 pounds, to be able to run through the finisher's gate at Leadville, it's phenomenal. It's unbelievable. And uh, the next day, so, so of course, everybody has the talking that night and the next day and saying things, well, like, I'm never doing this again. This was too hard. I'm not going to do this again. The next day, they opened up uh, entries for next year's 2019 Leadville Marathon and Heavy Half. And I looked at that and I thought, huh, I'm not doing that. And I thought about it and I thought, well, I could come back and do the heavy half because I could probably cut a couple hours off my time. I know I could do it faster than I did it. And that would be really cool. And I thought, that's not good enough. And so, uh, I um, looked at, at the entries and I thought, I got to do more than that. I need something that scares me. And so I signed up for the full marathon. Now, I want to put that into perspective a little bit. People ask me what running the heavy half was like. And uh, you're reaching to call it a run. I think for most people, it's more like a long hike. Um, but, uh, to run the heavy half is like putting on a 60 pound backpack, running from the top of the bottom of the empire state building, using the stairs and holding your breath the whole way. Mm, no, thanks. <laughs> are sucking wind the whole way simply because there's less of it. And by the top uh, time you get to the top, you may be having some changes in the way you think. You may be having some cognitive deficiencies because of oxygen deprivation. Uh, the guy I was running with, the poor guy, uh, I started lecturing him about the geology of the area to make sure that I wasn't uh, <laughs> becoming less intelligent as we got to the top. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, so this is the heavy half. You run up this mountain, 3,000 feet in elevation gain over, uh, over eight miles. And then you go back the other direction and fortunately downhill most of the way. The marathon adds another 11 miles to that and two more mountain peaks. And I am scared to death of it. I do not know I can do it. In fact, I know right now I couldn't do it. I have this thing in front of me that I need to get ready for. It's six months away, uh, six months from a few days ago. And I know for a fact 
that when I was there last June, I simply could not have done it. There would have been no way for me to get back to the gate before they took everything down and went home. And so that will be hanging over me until I come back down off that mountain again next year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I know we'll have a huge group of people out there again. Uh, but uh, let's see. I'm doing something a little less less uh, rigorous next month. I'm running the Louisiana Marathon. Uh, a lot of the missing chins live down in Louisiana, and so I'll be going down there and uh, saying hi to some of them and running the uh, what's known as one of the flattest marathons in the world in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'd be keen for that one. <laughs> there you come on over. There's still there's still openings left. I think we'll get you a bib, but um, so that'll be exciting. It's so exciting. It's so exciting, and I think for anyone listening, like th- seeing that that's 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 not even quite two years, and you've come all this way, and now you're signing up for a marathon in six months' time to have lost two hundred and ten pounds, reverse diabetes. You know, uh, reduce your risk of heart disease down to zero. You know, just looking and feeling amazing, wearing smaller jeans than your husband. <laughs> it's all good. And then getting this, I'm, I can't even imagine what finishing that heavy half would have been like psychologically, emotionally, spiritually for you as far as moving past that imposter syndrome and thinking, you know what, I'm not an imposter anymore. I'm actually a person who does this and who runs who runs yes <laughs> uh it's, it's just incredible so you before and i don't want to take up too much of your time because i know it's already been nearly an hour so i just want to for people who were listening who i know where we kind of skipped over we skipped over the the tre- the treacherous difficulties and I think the, the struggles, which you mentioned, but I think talking more about them because a lot of people, and myself included, even though I love what you say about, you know, being told be gentle with – and I say be gentle because you do – there is forgiveness that, it, that is, is important on this journey because yeah. we are human and we do make mistakes – and so I say gentle because I mean, don't, if you're not gentle and you, if you're like, I think you're a bit like me when you make a mistake and you go at the start and you just write yourself off. Right. And then you go off on a bender for a year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're gent, for me, gentleness means, you know, you might make, eat it. You might eat something that's absolutely not whole food plant based, but love yourself and go, okay. Next, next step is a new as a new step forward. You know, that's I'm not, I'm really not gonna, the hard part, though. It's a hard. I'm not the saying hard, don't. I'm not saying do that. But if you do do that, don't beat yourself up and then just say that. For, oh, I'm yeah. gonna go on a slippery slope for a year now because I can't obviously right. do it. I don't mean if you can avoid doing it, don't do it. But if you have done it, don't take it as a gateway. Open, go down the drain, like Joseph said. And <laughs> go down the drain and into the chicken. What was the food? Uh, uh, Kung Pao chicken. <laughs> Kung, don't go down into the Kung Pao chicken backstroke. Just, just, yep. just yep. get back up, dust yourself off and keep going in the right direction. But talking more about that, because I think for a lot of people coming from that sad diet where you're eating, like you say, deep fried food and all those wings and all this stuff, which I, you know, I, I wasn't into wings. I was into cakes and chocolates and lollies and sweets. 
was my thing and it's so easy even now people will offer me those foods as a gift and in vegan versions and that's still something from yesterday I made a whole food plant-based birthday cake and it was fine and I could eat it with total joy and guilt-free but I love cake and so it took a long time to be able to find cake that I liked as much as what I liked cake but now I love it and it's fine. But for people who love cake or love wings or love whatever, it's it's tricky. Like one of my friends, he's just starting this journey. He's four weeks in and he's loving it. But he's like, I love hot chips. You know, I love oily, oily, oh, sure. salty yeah. hot chips. Can you, what am I going to do about that? And so just talking about your own journey, how did you make it through the, those moments when you want those hot chips, those greasy, oily, salty yeah. hot chips? What do, what do you, what's your strategies for that? during this period. Right. And, and this is, you know, you're making a really good point because this is where most people are going to slip away. This is where most people are going to have the the level of discomfort that leads them astray. And once you go astray, it's really hard to come back. We're not very good at forgiving ourselves. Our species, uh, we like to project to other people that we're different than we actually are. And so the unfortunate side of that is we don't learn very well what it means to be human. So I, it's hard for me to look at somebody else and say, well, they're going through the same thing. They're just like me. And part of this journey was recognizing that people are going through these same things. People are struggling with these same issues. And I don't have to be this perfect person in order to respect myself or, res or for to have others respect me. Those first few weeks, those first few months, maybe that first year, there were periods of time where it was really rough. And I was white knuckling it through periods of time. When you start talking about hot chips, hot oily chips, fresh out of the fryer with a sprinkle of salt on them, you know, that's such a fulfilling, satisfying food. A bacon double cheeseburger. Uh, we have this little drive-through place in town called, a, called Snappy Burger. And uh, it's our little uh, local famous burger joint. And... Uh, it's just the perfect combination of, of greasy beef and melty cheese and oil and bacon. And these foods, you know, I, I, I hear so much discussion now, are foods addictive or are they not? You know, I'm fine with the statement food is not addictive, but things in food are addictive. Those oils are addictive. The salt is addictive. The combination of these things, oil with salt and sugar, this is addictive. Um, so there's addictive compounds in there. The only way to get past that is to go through these moments of white knuckling it. There isn't an easier, softer way, and I'm sorry about that. You know, my driving force in life now is to help other people to get into this process and find a way to live healthfully, there's going to be pain ahead. And um, I, I am not in love with the metaphor of, of going through rehab, you know, for drug addiction. I think there's that that's a different animal in a lot of regards. 
but there's a lot of similarities also. And for me, when that craving for cheeseburgers or chicken wings, I love chicken wings. They were like my favorite food in the universe. Um, when that came on, it was white knuckle it or die kind of is what it came back to. And so that kind of came around to another one of my key phrases, which is never give in, not one inch. Don't give back even one inch of the ground that you've gained, that you fought so hard for. When you eat a whole food plant-based meal, if it's your very first whole food plant-based meal, you have done something enormous for your wellness. You have accomplished something huge don't give it back. You've gained two feet on the battlefield. Don't backslide. So that kind of became a motto for me. Don't give back this ground that you've gained. The end of my first week, so the seven-day rescue diet, the seven-day thing, uh, uh, by the end of that week, I had lost 14 pounds. I didn't want to give that back. And the weight continued to come off like that for a while. You know, it, uh, you never lose quite as quickly as you do in that first week, I think. But to lose three or four pounds a week, that was pretty common for me. And, I, I, you know, one of the things I'd say is if you've got 50 pounds to lose or 70 pounds to lose, that weight comes off a lot slower. If you have 150 pounds or 250 or 350 or more pounds that weight comes off like you like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the weight just pours off of you for a while. Um, and uh, so, you know, while that was going on, though, I would have these cravings, you know, those hot chips or pizza, a hot pizza, um, so salty and that gooey cheese and uh, crust piled high with whatever you want on it. Uh, I mean, it still sounds good, but I know it wouldn't be good. Um, but it took me a long time to come away from that. The way that you taste food changes. Um, the oils become less attractive. The salt in particular and the sugars become less attractive. But that takes time. And this is another reason I go back to that not one bite thing. Just one bite is all it takes to put those taste receptors right back where they were before. Uh, you know, I, I think about that one bite and, you know, I'm, I'm two years into this now. Could I take one bite? Could I have a cheeseburger? So I have a friend who, uh, uh, I won't tell you his name because people would recognize it, but uh, for a few years, he was having one meal, whatever he wanted per year. You know, go get the cheeseburger and chips. Um, and the last time he did this, he said it just made him so sick he couldn't eat it. Uh, you know, it was just overwhelming. I don't know if I could do that one meal, and I really don't want to find out. Uh, so I treat it like an addiction, I guess, in that regard. Uh, if anybody has the way to help people have an easier approach than white knuckling it through those cravings, especially in the first days and weeks. I want to hear about it. Uh, the one advantage though, of doing the uh, seven day rescue approach or the whole food plant based, no oil approach, whatever you call it. 
I've been on the seven day rescue now for two years. <laughs> so it's a long seven days. But um, the advantage is you can eat potatoes. If you want to eat the whole bag, if you want to eat five kilos of uh, potatoes, eat five kilos of potatoes. I don't think you will, but you can. Uh, There's ways to cook them that make them like chips. Are they oily? No, they're not. Uh, But you can air fry them or oven fry them, uh, and they're pretty darn satisfying. One of the things I like to tell people is in these first few weeks where you're getting your feet under you, eat whatever you want, however much you want, as long as it's consistent with the rules of the plan. So if you want to eat all those potatoes, eat all those potatoes. There's a, an Australian, Andrew Taylor. Uh, do you know Andy? Hello, Andrew. <laughs> I mention him every episode. Hi. Yeah, yes. Hi, Andrew. So, um, you know, potatoes are his thing. If you want to eat nothing but potatoes, that's way better than the alternative. If you want to uh, uh, eat 20 apples or, or, or 10 pounds of bananas in a day, do it. Make sure whatever you eat is consistent with the plan and you will get through those cravings. So that's kind of, uh, I think, would be the best that's, way to go. I agree. I think for me, the easiest thing, like I said about my birthday cake, I, I know what I liked and mm-hmm. I just made sure, well, this is, I, don't, I wouldn't eat my birthday cake every day because it still has, it's still not going to make me lose weight. But I mean, as far as... If I had a craving, I would make a whole food, plant-based, low-fat, no-oil version. Like you say, it's not the same, but it would always get me through until I didn't. It would yes. get me through those white-knuckle times. So if I wanted chips, I would make the oven-baked chips. And if I wanted chocolate ice cream, I'd make banana ice cream. Right. With frozen bananas, and that would get me through. And that was always basically those two things: chips, oven-baked chips, and banana ice cream. Pretty much, and, and sometimes I'd make you know oat pancakes. I, I, a lot, I made some a lot of oat oat pancakes. Yeah, <laughs> they're my secret uh, secret weapon. The oat pancakes that are in the back of the Seven Day Rescue book. I. Um, the first time I made those uh, for me and my husband, you know, it makes, I don't know, about 12 pancakes. And um, so I made those. And the next morning I got up before he did and I made two batches and ate them all myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're 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 incredible. And, but to, to eat that and think, oh, well, you know what? This is okay. I can eat this. I know. Well, it was like the cake. I said to my husband last night because, you know, your meals change. And as you go along, and I think a lot of my friends will say who aren't whole food plant-based, but they've tried it off and on over the years after seeing me and knowing me. They just, they're not, sure. they're not sick enough to feel like they have to commit. So they, they fall off and on and play around with it. I wish that they would just say, I don't want to ever be sick, so let's just keep up with this. But but they've played around with it. And they um, Ranjit and I have been just doing it consistently and tweaking it and changing it for the last 10 years until it's less and less and less and more and more clean because your taste buds, like you say, they change. And yesterday was my birthday. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. I think I knew that. <laughs> I posted it everywhere. <laughs> 
I think when you've been really sick and like oh, after losing my brother, you know, I get excited because it just means, wow, how much better can I feel next birthday? You know, I'm mean, 40 next year, 39, I feel pretty bloody great. I'm, I'm happy every year. Whereas in my 20s, I was just, this is sick. I feel horrible. I'm overweight. I've got multiple sclerosis. Every birthday is just a year towards my demise. <laughs> and, and, and now it's the opposite, which is, which is wonderful. So I'm really excited. But yesterday we just went berry picking and for breakfast we ate just a fix of berries and there was no guilt. We just ate Logan berries, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, cherries, strawberries mm-hmm. until we were like, I feel like sick, but it's excellent. <laughs> I'm totally fine. <laughs> And yes. then I made whole whole grain pizzas, no cheese, all different type mm-hmm. potato. And then I made this whole grain chocolate cake with – I made an avocado. So that's like the craziest sure. icing. Mm-hmm. And icing and raspberries in that too. And it was just great. And we went to bed and I said – I went for a walk after tea just to – because I like exercising. I said, I just love going to bed after having a birthday day when normally you'd be eating the wings or the burgers or, you know, we'd go to three different restaurants that day normally, you know, old, old Corinne. And yesterday we went berry picking and then had this delicious low fat whole food meal. And you just go to bed thinking, I'm not going to be gaining three kilos tomorrow. I'm not going to be feeling tired. I'm not going to be starting my 39th year on a negative, on a negative, unconstipated and unhappy. And (laughs) (laughs) And horrific. It's great. Go plant-based, take epic poops. I know. Epic. <laughs> epic poops. So, yeah, I agree with you that doing those kinds of things, even though it's not the same, they do that, that uh, air frying the chips and doing those kinds of things has, it definitely helps me through those moments. Yes. Eating yeah. two batches of pancakes. It's going to help. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I wouldn't do that every day. Oh, absolutely uh, not. But my point is, if you're, if you're, feeling like your back is up against the cheating wall. You can cheat without cheating. Exactly. And one of the things that I found is if I go into a phase of a few days where I am eating what I would now call off plan, which basically means I'm not in control of what I'm eating, but I'm eating 100% whole food plant-based with no oil. It's still sticking to the, to the what, not necessarily the amounts. I do not gain weight. Um, I mean, I can eat to my satisfaction, to my, you know, whatever empty hole I'm trying to fill. Uh, but I do not gain weight. And that is huge. That's huge. Um, uh, I do get frustrated now because the weight doesn't come off like it used to. Um, you know, a plateau now is not a few days. It's a couple of months or longer. Um, but I'm running, I'm getting stronger. I'm doing all of these things I couldn't do before. And I'm less concerned about hitting some number. One of the things I, you know, I always talked about becoming thin or not being fat, um, which isn't the goal. It really is not the goal. And then I started talking about becoming healthy. And that's a goal I hear a lot of people talk about. I want to get healthy. I don't talk about that anymore because I don't think that's the real goal either. I think that the process is the goal. 
The goal is not to get healthy. That implies there's an end point. Well, what do you do at the end point? Do you go back to the way you were doing things before? I've reached where I'm going. Now I can stop. And I think we enter an awful lot of diets and eating plans this way. That's not what this is about. The goal here is the process and becoming pleased, satisfied, happy with the way I'm living, living healthfully. My goal is healthful living. That is a process that does not stop. And there's no perfection in it. I'm not trying to reach some magic number, say, okay, well, you know, now I'm at 115 kilos, that's my ideal weight, and so everything is good and perfect from here on out. That's not right, even if I hit that weight. So, you know, if I can fall in love with the process, though, with the imperfection of every day, adjusting myself a little bit, nudging myself a little to the left or to the right, uh, and saying, what do I need to do today to be a more healthful person? I think about health, uh, I I think this comes from my years of being a nurse um, and also being an educator. I think about health as being uh, a very holistic thing It's not just a physical thing. It's a mental thing. It's a social thing. It's a spiritual thing. We have all these different ways of influencing our health, of of becoming a healthful person, and they all affect each other. What I eat doesn't just affect me physically. It It affects me mentally. It affects me socially and probably even affects me spiritually. So all of these things are interrelated. It's all about this process of nudging yourself into healthful living. And just like anything else worth doing, there probably isn't an end point. It's something that you just go on with, and then that becomes your life. When this healthful living becomes your life, you're there. Then you're there. You know that you're never going to get there. You're there. <laughs> I, I am in love with what you just said, and I know that I... I've been on this journey myself for a long time, but I think that that's something that I've never, a way of looking at it that I've never been able to express and you expressed it just so eloquently. The goal is the process and the goal is healthful living and that goal doesn't stop. And I think that you're right. We all think, I used to always say, I'm going to be 58 kilo, 50, I say 58 and a meditator. That's what I would always <laughs> say at work. I'd be like, what's your goal, Corinne? 58 yeah, and a meditator. Yeah, I said 115. <laughs> I think I meant half that. <laughs> That's obviously a lot of kilos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was always saying that. And and, and that that in itself was sabotaging me because it was was terrifying and it seemed impossible. When was I going to be this meditator every every day and 58 kilos? And it just seemed impossible. But now, like you say, now – I, you know, I still have, like you, I lost weight and then I had a child and I gained weight eating a little bit too much, like you, a little bit too much, but you in 2014, a little bit too much nuts and seeds when I was studying. I went back to study when I had a little baby and so I was slamming almond butter and dates to get me through the thinking it's whole food, it's okay, but it still led me to gain 10 kilos after I'd lost weight. And I'm still, like you said, when you only have a small amount of weight to lose, it's hard to lose. So I plateaued for 
ages on that at that mm-hmm. weight. And now I'm starting, it's starting to come off again. But it is, I've had to fall in love with the process. And I think for a lot of people, that's tricky, but it's so much nicer and, and, and doable. Yeah. Than having this terrifying 58 and a meditator that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, for me, that that really became important. I think I had the first ideas about this when I realized that where I was going was not where I thought I was going. Uh, I've been struggling with being overweight, with being obese since uh, since I was a young teenager. And I think I always had this vision that I would start dropping pounds and I would regress to becoming some former version of myself. Uh, and that's not what happens. You know, I'm still 55. And I'm a 55-year-old guy who weighs, uh, you know, 220 pounds who lives in a body that used to weigh 200 and some pounds more than that. And so, um, you know, that guy, sometimes it's like I'm wearing a fat suit that I can't fill. Uh, you know, that reality is, um, you know, can be a little hard to accept. But if you're about the process and you're about okay being with where you're going, which for me was a decision, maybe more others dis- struggle more with this. It was a decision to be happy with where I was going wherever that was. And uh, it's okay that that person is not exactly who I thought he was going to be because he's healthy and he's happy. And the ultimate goal is, of course, be happy. That's right. So I have two more questions for you because I want to wrap it up because I don't want everyone, you to be up until midnight. And I have to go to my son's grade one graduation lunch. Awesome. So. Graduation from me. (laughs) I will. So firstly, everyone's going to want to know where they can follow you, find you on social media, your website, all those things to check out more of your journey and hear more about you and maybe working with you and those kinds of things. Cause you know, you're very inspirational. I know that so many people are going to love your story and want to join your social media tribe. So please, where do we find you? Well, I can be found on Facebook, Joseph Alexander. Uh, and, uh, so that's one place to find me. Um, if you're a member of the seven day rescue group, then chances are, uh, you've at least heard of me, um, in some regard, good or bad already. Uh, you can usually find the missing chins, uh, by approaching, any of the guys who are members um, and uh, finding more information about that. Uh, some of the guys, Josh Lajani, Tim Kaufman, uh, and uh, uh, Justin Lacey, some of the others have been on Good Morning America and some other TV shows. Uh, and so they can be pretty easy to find on Facebook. Uh, my website is becomegreater.net, just like it sounds, becomegreater.net. Uh, and I am currently wrapping up a PhD in nursing uh, research. Congratulations! Uh, I don't practice clinically anymore, but I am starting a uh, healthful living coaching business. 
um, and actually just getting ready to take my first clients via Skype or uh, telephone online. And so um, people can get in contact me with me through my website, becomegreater.net. There's a contact me link on there. I also have Become Greater on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so they can find me in both of those places. On Twitter, it's underscore become greater underscore. And on Facebook, it's become great. It's uh, facebook.com slash become greater dot net. Awesome. That is so wonderful. I'm sure everyone's going to be following you at become greater and Facebook and Twitter and also at your website, becomegreater.net. And I'm sure people will be contacting you about doing some helpful living coaching because, you you know, your story is so inspiring and I love the way that you approach health and healthful living and I think it's going to suit so many people's personalities and where they're at in their life. And it's great work that you're doing. Like I, I love I love the journey that you've been on and I know that so many can resonate from that those dark places where you've been and see you now and think well if he can move through that then I can too which is I guess the the goal which is so fantastic so thank you thank for you coming so and much. sharing your work and doing the work that you're doing because it's wonderful you're helping people and helping them get healthier and feel healthier and and enjoy the process which is like you say it's the best the key part Last thing is three tips. What are your three tips for anyone who's listening who just wants to start today but doesn't know where to begin? Uh, the three tips, I would say um, it's not hard to find out what a whole food plant-based diet is. Go there and do it. If you do nothing else with that, simply increase the number of whole plant-based foods that you're eating. I think one of my most important tips, the thing that made the difference for me this time around was to do some healthful self-analysis. Look at yourself. Look at your behaviors. Look at the things you have done over and over throughout your entire life. We all have those things. If it hasn't worked till now, chances are that same process is not going to work this time. What are you going to do to do something different? The third thing is find support. In my case, when I was starting this and for a long time, my support system was through the Facebook 7-Day Rescue Diet Challenge group uh, because I had nothing locally. Uh, when you change your life, you're going to influence the people around you. Give others the opportunity to do that for you. Look for support. Find it where it is. Yes, I love all of them. So educate yourself on a whole food plant-based diet. Go onto Google. There's plenty of information out there. There's plenty of great Facebook sites. There's plenty of great places like the Forks Over Knives website, the, the nutritionfacts.org um, website. The uh, Becomegreater.net. Becomegreater.net. There's already some recipes on there. There will be a lot more coming. There's so many great people to follow, like Tim Kaufman, Josh, to, I don't know, how to pronounce his surname? Lajani. Lajani. Josh Lajani. Um, there's so many people out there on social media that you can follow, and there's also... Uh, Dr. Dr. Colin Campbell's website, which is a great resource as well, and a bunch of others. So you definitely... Nutritionfacts.org is awesome. It's awesome. Yes. It's so awesome. So get this... Uh, increase the whole food plant-based plant, plant foods in your meals. 
do some self and I love that you're the first person to say that. And I maybe Andrew Taylor might have said something similar to that, but mm-hmm. I think it's a great one because if you're trying something, and a lot of people try the Atkins diet yeah. year after year. They change the name to paleo, then year after year after year. What could be wrong with bacon omelets? You know? What could be wrong with bacon omelets? <laughs> and, you know, it does. It does get results. Like all the donut diet gets you results for, yeah. <laughs> for, for a moment. And then you're back again and again. So do the self-analysis. What have you tried that isn't working, you know, that you failed at over and over again and do something different now and then get support. And I think that that is the key, the key piece, you know, getting any support wherever you can, online group, a lot, lots of people have started their own potlucks in their area or their own little groups in their area. But if you're starting out and you've got nothing, social media, a group like the seven day rescue group, they're great places to start. So start there. And the chances are, especially if you live in a larger urban area, there are already things going on. Mm. Uh, Dr. Campbell, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Colin Campbell and Dr. Thomas Campbell have started um, these plant pods all around the U.S. And I think they may be all around the world uh, where people are getting together in communities to learn about and enjoy a plant-based lifestyle. Yes, yes. It's wonderful. So thank you so much, Joseph. I absolutely loved hearing your story. And I love that you've become a runner because I became a runner and it's just, I haven't done a half. So I'm still, I'm still putting off doing a half but so i should come to australia and we should run a half together you should run you should come to australia and we'll run a half together i'm sure i could talk my husband into this (laughs) do it do it let me know i'll be here all right book the dates okay i'll come and do the run with you awesome awesome have a wonderful day and thanks again for coming on the show thank you so much Thank you so much, Joseph, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the podcast, doing all of the things, rating, reviewing, sharing with your family and friends. It really helps this podcast, the message of this podcast to get out to as many people as possible, which is just everything to me. I I love hearing stories like Joseph's. I love sharing them with you and your family and friends because the more people who hear stories like Joseph's who are in these dark, hard places with chronic disease, obesity, aches, pains, struggles, yo-yo dieting, all of those things, that low self-confidence, the more people that know that there is a way out and a way through and there is hope, the better, the better for the for the for humanity, the better for the planet, the better for the animals, the better for everyone. So thank you for sharing and supporting and doing all the things that you do to keep this podcast going. I'm so grateful and I'll see you all next episode. Bye.